This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're back. And uh, how do they say it in the old days? TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And we got a full house. If you saw the studio the way it is right now, nobody will believe it. We have a full house and, uh, what, three kings to, and uh, two aces? Yeah, for sure. At least. Uh, this, this is a winning hand regardless. <laughs> In the studio with us, uh, we have uh, some common sense people. We have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Uh, we have Governor uh, David Patterson. Governor, welcome. Thank you. And uh, some common sense Republicans. And uh, we have uh, Ed Cox, uh, New York State uh, Chairman. Ed, welcome. Good to be here. Yeah. And the CEO of Goya, Robert Unanaway, for the big celebration today, we're celebrating Cinco de Mayo, and we're going to talk about Cinco de Mayo, about what does Cinco de Mayo mean. Uh, Bob, tell us. Well, Cinco de Mayo, uh, thanks for having me. Your show is great. Uh, Katz and Cosby, uh, you're just, you know, hitting the the ratings all over. So it's a wonderful show, and, and God bless for all the success. Well, Cinco thank you. I mean, I, I understand. I was on with Sid this morning. You were on with Sid this morning about 8.30. I was on about 7.30. I got up earlier than you. Uh, <laughs> and, and, By uh, the way, tell him you sent me a text, I think, at 3 a.m., so he never sleeps. <laughs> so uh, I said if you stop the next 100 people that walk by, nobody knows what Cinco de Mayo is. And it, 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 was, a, it was a war against France and the uh, Mexicans – removed the French. Uh, tell us about it. Well, while we were at Civil War in the United States in 1862, the French came in uh, into Mexico, and I, I believe Mexico owed them some money or something like that. They were collecting their debts. But uh, there was a battle in Puebla in uh, 1862, Cinco de Mayo, and they won that battle. But the French remained until uh, 1867, and they were finally uh, driven out of Mexico. Prior to that, in 1810, was really... Uh, the the cry for Mexican independence when from the Spaniards uh, from 1810 they they were uh, uh, went out from on September 15th of uh, 1810 they started uh, to battle and and free themselves from Spain who was there from till uh, 1821 and um, uh, I understand it's a cultural holiday not Independence Day Independence Day from Mexico is September 16th. Yes, it's cultural. And, and, you know, when you're an immigrant, there's three things you hold on to as an immigrant, uh, language, music, and food. And so this country has really been privileged to have all the wonderful cuisines from all around the world. And Mexico, the Mexican cuisine is really popular all over the world. This morning we had Fernando Dessa, our executive chef, in here making some dishes. But, you know, the food is really 
what is uh, really a tradition that is really expanding the experience of, of cuisine in, in this country. Really, I missed it, it by five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was hungry. Oh my, and it's the best food ever, too. It is the best food. So you missed it, John. <laughs> and we have another special guest in the, in the studio. Just walked in. We have former mayor Rudy Giuliani. Rudy, welcome. And you're not even giving me any Mexican food? <laughs> I didn't get any I'm starving. I'm you came starving. too late. You missed it by you five minutes. I just ate. I just ate some. What did I eat, Rita? He had a bag of Lay's potato chips. That, that, and he's a healthy guy. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like that was the but best. I, was right. I had no lunch. <laughs> <laughs> they worked me. They worked worked me to the fingers. This yeah, today. he started at seven thirty on char- show. Isn't he in charge? What do you mean they work him? I know. You know what he, he's. You know, <laughs> humble beginnings. Humble I beginnings. Along, I go along for the ride, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Tell us, uh, Rudy. Uh, we had a big incident in New York the other yeah. day. Uh, we had a United States Marine who was trained. To, 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 to help him, the American people and train to help all Americans. And he was in a, in a subway that this, the, there was this guy with 46 conviction, convictions. Uh, I don't know if he was beating up or abusing all the, uh, train riders. And now they want to give him, to put, put him in the grand jury. What say you? I think this would be terrible. You know, we, we, we get, we get shocked when we see these situations where somebody's being beaten, beaten to death, knocked around, and people are taking pictures of it instead of helping them. Right? Or we go back to the Kitty Genovese thing, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years ago or 40 years ago or wherever it was. Right, when she was crying we out don't have and enough, nobody responded We to don't that have case. enough people like this Marine. I mean, he did, he did what he was trained to do. Protect this guy, Americans. this guy, I don't, whether it's mental illness or not, doesn't matter to the person getting beaten or killed, right? This guy was a habitual predator. By the way, he had an outstanding He's warrant a habitual out. Predator. He had an outstanding Beat the warrant hell out, out of for an old woman, a sixty-seven-year-old woman. The, the guy that came to his defense is a Mexican American who got beaten to hell by him, and said, uh, "No, he did exactly the right thing. Maybe if he had been there when I got beaten, I wouldn't have gotten beaten." And uh, so he ju- he jumped him. He did. He acted. If he, if he had, you say, well, why didn't he wait? Because if he waited, somebody could be dead. When that guy took his jacket off and made a move, that's when he had to act. Because the next thing, somebody's head could have been bashed in. You know, Rudy, also I heard today, uh, to add to that, first of all, he was throwing garbage. As a woman on the subway, I've only been on the subway, I think, once in a year. It is frightening. Um, and the second of all, I just heard recently, he was also shouting, I don't care if I die. I don't care if I die. That's really scary. You don't know what someone's going to do when they say that kind of rhetoric. Yeah, he just didn't count on the fact that he had a big, tough, strong guy who's trained to save lives, which is what he did. We don't know what he would have done. I mean, he's, he has a long record of beating the hell out of people. Which if, is scary. If that Marine had le- left him alone... He probably would have done what he he's would done have hurt before. A few people. He might have killed somebody. I mean, you hit somebody and they fall yeah, he down. He's saying, "I don't care if I die. I don't care." I mean, that's scary. When someone minute, says that, the minute you, say, you hit somebody, you can kill them. I mean, they go down, they hit the floor. You've seen it happen, right? Yes. I mean, and this guy has done some pretty serious beatings of people. So he prevented this guy from doing what he habitually does, which is beat the hell out of people. Now. The fact that he's mentally ill and nobody's taking care of him, uh, that's that, that's not the fault of the poor victim. 
That's the fault of our society. It's really the fault of the liberals who will not allow you to incarcerate these people against their will. I mean, Adams actually tr- uh, is trying to get some form of incarceration yep. of these people against their will. And all of a sudden, the liberals, like AOC, who's already convicted this guy of murder. By the way, she called just a few minutes ago for an execution. She said it was an execution style. Um, I mean, this is well, that's the totally rhetoric. Not, that is guy so wasn't on the subway looking for somebody to hurt or to harm. He was there and he jumped in to help fellow human beings. And he look, the minute you grab, the minute you get into a fight with somebody, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Even if you just punch him and he goes down, the guy can die. So he wasn't I, I don't see that he had the intent to kill him. He had the intent to stop him. And it turned out that he had that he had him in a headlock in the wrong way. He, also, his intent was to stop him from hurting the older folks in the subway, which is a very nice thing. Yeah, we call it a good. That's, Samaritan. What, that's what Marines we, do. We, we, we had one of those in the Bible called, you know, the Good Samaritan. And uh, the rea- the reality is the fact that it resulted in death. is just uh, the, the cir- circumstance of a violent situation. This guy was not going to go, like, uh, help those people. <laughs> he wasn't there to go help anybody on the subway. He was there to do harm like he had done before. And uh, one of the problems is that because of the left wing, all these people are on the street now. I, I calculate there are about 7,000 people walking the streets of New York that were incarcerated wow. when I was the mayor or Bloomberg. And that's why you have the crimes that you have. The left-wing policies of the state legislature, Cuomo actually originally signed it. Hochul has also made a ridiculous statement. I mean, she could be a nitwit. Yeah, she said uh, he died for being a passenger on the subway. He was a passenger on the subway, like like, Like he was sitting there reading the New York Times. What, is she a nitwit? What do you think is going to happen, Um, uh, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani? What do you think is going to happen? Because even though we say this, um, there's a there's really a mob that seems to be calling for charges. I mean, we've well, seen admire, some very I, I would, wild I will up say, crowds. You don't hear me say this very often. I admire Mayor Adams for standing up. And it's harder for him to stand up than it even would be for me because he has a different constituency than I have. I really admire him saying, calm down. Don't come to any judgments. That's what a, a mayor should be saying to people. Yeah, he's measured. Uh, Governor Patterson, you got a question. Uh, I just think that if this case even goes before a grand jury, they'll vote no true bill. I don't see any way that if a group of people get together that they don't understand exactly what the mayor just said. In, in other words, it's it, it it's unfortunate that it happened, but it is a sign of the times in a lot of ways in that now we are assessing the responsibility of the person who came in to try to stop the situation as opposed to the passengers, many of them who, who could have been hurt by it. Uh, Robert, you have any, uh, you, you know, we're, people are afraid to even step in. The fact that this guy showed a lot of courage. You know, he's a Marine. He's, you know, he's uh, protecting this country, protecting people. But people, if they see that if they step in, they're going to be scrutinized or even criminalized. That uh, they're not going to, we're going to, you know, people are not going to step yeah. in. Yeah, and that is the sad thing, that people are worried. Um, and there are a lot of people who, you just brought up, Rudy, the Kitty Genovese case, that famous case where people Correct. stood back. That was a horrible case. And what could have happened? And you're right, now it's going to scare people from coming forward because they're seeing what's happened. And I think of the Jose Alba case, also, Rudy, where he was defending himself. 
And yet he got charged. And the poor man goes back to the Dominican Republic because he feels safer there. He feels safer in the Dominican Republic. That's a heck of an indictment of New York. Yeah, it sure is. Judge Weinberg, you got a, you have a question. What I'm concerned about is the fact that they're politicizing this whole situation. Everybody's taking a narrative. They're doing it for the political purposes. They're not letting the process play out. They're not being fair to this, uh, this young man, this Marine. You, don't, you weren't there, AOC. You weren't there, Congresswoman Presley. You weren't there, Governor Hochul. Just be quiet. And let the process play out and be fair. Yeah, I think the mayor, I've often said what mayors should, people ask me, what should mayors do in situations like this? Mayors should say, we have the presumption of innocence for a reason in the courtroom. It's not a bad thing to apply. Uh, Sometimes you don't have to apply it because it's so clear. You see it on tape, uh, you know, the uh, Elliott situation. But this is not that. We, We didn't see this. And what we've seen, the video we've seen pretty much exonerates them from what we've seen. But in any event, Adams is saying the right thing. Don't jump to conclusions. This is very, very complicated. I'm disappointed the governor's jumped to conclusions. I am too. And I, I but uh, what is What's it? even more disappointing Sucking is up. that she's had 24 hours to correct it. That's a great point, Governor Patterson, and she hasn't. She's stayed by her statement. And- now, uh, Governor, where do we stand on the budget? Is there a budget or is there not a budget? What, what are we doing? Anybody know? I, I would say technically they passed it. But they're, you know, they're hiding it. Why are they hiding it? (laughs) I love that he says technically. (laughs) John, as someone who passed a few budgets, um, I really wanted to hide all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, Bobby has some zingers. Yeah, I told you. (laughs) Well, why don't we bring? We have a guest in, and. Rita, you bring him in. Absolutely. Uh, we have with us here Mr. Albert Zapanta. He is the president and CEO of the United States-Mexico Chamber of Commerce. And, of course, we're celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Uh, great to have you with us here, sir. Thank you. Anyway, just, just so you know that Don... Are you there, Mr. Zapanta? We're trying to get him, obviously. He's probably he's probably having that great Mexican food that you didn't give us, Bob. Oh. That must be what he's... And look, Rudy is still complaining oh. about the food, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's probably busy with that. Me and Rudy didn't get any. Yeah, I didn't get any either. But we know Bob. I think we know where to get some, right? Oh, now we have him. All right. Mr. Zapata, are you there? Yes, great. I am. We're, we're talking about the great food and the great customs and just the great tribute to Cinco de Mayo. What does it mean to you, by the way, real quick, and, and the importance about Hispanic businesses and the Hispanic vote, of course, which is very pivotal in America? Well, this is kind of a holiday that uh, we call Cinco de Mayo, obviously the 5th of May. Originally, the history is, is when the Mexican uh, defeated the French and ex- expelled them from Mexico, but it really means more here in a place like Texas because Texas was part of Tamaulipas, one of the major states of Mexico. And so there's a huge history. So when the uh, Mexican and American War uh, in the mid-1800s, you then find out very clearly that Texas is very much a part because during the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, a third of Mexico was ceded to the United States, and that's where you get basically the Southwest, the California, the Arizona, New Mexico, Texas. And so it's kind of more of a 
holiday that we really enjoy everybody getting together. We do this traditionally here on the Las Colinas Canal here in uh, North Texas. We call it the Metroplex, uh, Irving Las Colinas. And we have a chance to bring everybody together from our locale here to celebrate mariachi music, to celebrate the type of other foods that we have. We have guacamole. We'll also have some of the other traditional foods that come from Louisiana, because as you know, that was also Spanish held. And so then we'll have a tasting of the various kinds of maguey plant, uh, alcoholic beverages. We know the, the one as tequila, so we're serving a lot of margaritas today. We also will have mezcal from the state of Oaxaca. And we have a new uh, derivative of uh, the mezcal and uh, uh, the... Well, Robert, that sounds good. Yeah, Robert, in on the way, if the CEO of Goya in the studio with us, Robert, uh, talk, talk to him. He's smiling hearing all this good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all are. We well, have a new drink. We have a new drink for him to come by and get it. It's called Soton, which is the latest of the drinks that have been brewed out of the maguey plant. Obviously, tequila, uh, mezcal, and now Soton, which is basically in the northern part of Mexico into the Rio Grande Valley here in Texas. So it's a chance to get a lot of friends together to be able to enjoy the food, the cuisine, the drink, and just enjoy ourselves and so that's what we're doing for the next three hours. So I wish you guys were with me. Well, uh, uh, Albert, I'm a uh, Tejano myself. I'm from outside the Houston area. Uh, and we have uh, today uh, at the program or uh, with WABC our friend Myra Flores, who's a great, a great gal. And, and she has done such a great uh, uh, job, you know, in Texas. Yeah. Uh, you know, the United States is the second largest Latino country in the world. We're 70 million behind Mexico's 120, but we have every single uh, ethnicity represented in this country. They say we will be the biggest group by 2050. I think after Title 42 goes away, we could be the biggest group tomorrow, but that's another story. <laughs> In an hour. Yeah, Robert, uh, over the weekend, we should probably pass it. <laughs> Spoken but, by Governor Patterson. But, but the, good, the good news is, to me, is that the values, like someone like Myra Flores projects, the values of the Latino is God, family, work. And, you know, this COVID shutting down, it, it put a lot of good, hardworking people out of, out of work. We should never have shut down. It was the worst thing we could do. But... I am I'm very optimistic about the future of our country with the inclusion of the Latino who puts God first, family, work. And so we need to get back to that and, and build this country and uh which has been, in my opinion, unraveled over the last couple of years, but we gotta bring it back. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Is there anything else you wanna you'd like to say about Cinco de Mayo today? Yeah, well, we're here to have a great time. I hope maybe if you can't make it this time, we'll make it on November 1st. We also celebrate something very cultural called the Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. And it's really when you, after midnight, of after Halloween, it begins November 1st. We then go to the cemeteries 
to honor our our not only our history of our family, but to then just say I'm celebrating to, uh, September 16th, Mexican Independence Day. Well, that's okay too. You know, uh, we do a lot of things. We do also with the uh, the Mexican Embassy in D.C. as well as the the various. Um, uh, consulates. We have 10 offices of our U.S.-Mexico chamber here in the U.S. and eight in Mexico. So we're wow. the first. They never asked ever me done. to join. Yeah, and by the well, way, yo did. puedo hablar español. So por qué? Am, you I know? talking, am I talking to John? Who am I talking John to? John Casamitidis. Thank okay, you. Then John. Yes. With a name like yours, you better join us. You need help. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, y yo quiero también. Rudy, uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani is here, and he says hello. Oh, absolutely, and, and happy Cinco de Mayo. You're well, I just have to tell you, there's a lot of friends. Maya's a friend. I helped her during her race. And, uh, God bless. Uh, I, wish, I wish she was still in, but maybe the next go-around, I think it's time for her to yep. get back in the ring. All right. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. We're supposed to have Larry Kudlow is supposed to be calling in to tell us what the heck is going on with the economy. 77 WABC is celebrating all day long. Today is Cinco de Mayo, sponsored by Goya, honoring Mexican-Americans. We have huge celebrations with parades, mariachi music, festivals, traditional foods such as tacos. Talk Radio 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. John, a big day in the economy. And uh, by the way, did you see a few minutes ago, President Biden came out and said, we're having a news conference today uh, as he was speaking about the economy. Problem was, there was no news conference and the White House had to correct him. And our next guest knows the economy better than anybody. We have the great Larry Kudlow. Of course, he's the host here on Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., top show on Saturdays. And of course, the big show, the biggest on Fox Business. Larry, great to have you here. Rita, the reason he couldn't have time for a press conference is he had to celebrate today's Karl Marx's birthday. <laughs> we have a full studio, by the way. We all love that joke, Larry. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. So, so what happened uh, in the economy? I mean, uh, it was a surprise, wasn't it, this morning? So actually, uh, the number wasn't the number, um, the 250000 uh, job number wasn't. If you look under the hood, the two prior months were revised down by 150,000. So actually, the, the job number actually was only up 104,000. And Wall Street saw that. So stocks went up 500 points because the softer jobs number uh, suggests the Fed will pause instead of keep raising rates. So stocks like that a lot. And it was, you know, kind of, I mean, it, it, by the way, when you get downward revisions, you had a big downward revision in February and a big downward revision in March. Um, that's a leading indicator of a, uh, a poor jobs in the future. So M Wall Street likes that a lot. And I think the Fed should stop. I mean, I've been a hawk on inflation, but enough is enough. Uh, commodities are down. Oil is down. And uh, uh, the money supply is down. And the yield curve is upside down. So they, I think it's uh, they've done everything they need to do. Now just they should sit back and do nothing for a while. So, so Larry, Ed Cox here. The, 
So what about China? Supposedly it's beginning to take off again, uh, growing again. Uh, why isn't that having an impact on the, uh, on the price of commodities, especially oil, since they're one of the major well, consumers of oil? Yeah, I know, but I don't think they're really taking off. I mean, I know I read that, but I think China is a very troubled economy. Um, the Communist Party has tightened its grip. The free market reforms in recent years have been thrown out the window, and besides the shutdowns from COVID, which did a lot of damage to the economy. So I think you're correct in looking at commodities. You know, um, shipping is down. Commodities are down. Uh, as I said, oil oil at one point was about $65 this week. I think it finally closed around 70 but even the OPEC plus oil uh, production cuts have not had the um, desired impact. So these are all reasons why the Fed should quit. And um, I, I think I suspect they will. I don't know that the Fed's going to start dropping rates, but I think there's no need for them uh, to raise rates. The, the reported inflation numbers are still going to be sticky, but they're coming down. And you have to look at the leading indicators, as I said, and commodities and the money supply and the inverted yield curve. So I think that was the celebration today. And the other thing is, I mean, look, um, budget policy is going to play a big role in this. Uh, Some of these news reports that suggest uh, McCarthy and the Republicans are somehow going to give up, they're not going to give up. They're doing exactly the right thing. Um, They'll raise the debt ceiling, but in return for that, there have to be budget reforms. And by the way, I mean, here, too, you know, Biden was out there today briefly saying how you know, the Republicans are going to wreck this program and wreck that program. They're not budget cuts. That All they've done is they put a speed limit on the increase of the budget. They put a 1% speed limit, and Biden doesn't like that because he wouldn't cut five cents out of the budget. And that's all wrong because that's one of the sources of inflation. Uh, and that'll help the Fed. Uh, you know, stop rates and maybe get the Fed to drop rates faster. But they're not going to give in. They have a very good bill, and that includes oil uh, and gas permitting reforms, and it includes work requirements. That bill is anti-inflation and pro-growth, and it puts a speed limit on the growth of the federal spending. And that's exactly what we need. And I don't see – look, I talk to them constantly. Uh, They are not going to give up. They are not going to give up, and they have, they have the only plan that will raise the debt ceiling. Uh, and Janu- if June 1st is the date, and it could be, or the middle of June, whatever, uh, Biden's got to you know, sober up and start negotiating properly with the Speaker of the House, who's done a terrific job, in my opinion. Larry, we have uh, Robert Unanaway from Goya Foods, the CEO, in the studio with us today. Uh, we're celebrating... Uh, Cinco de Mayo, but he sees the international markets a lot. And Robert, what do you see in the international markets? You know, year, we, uh, months ago, you were very worried about the uh, transportation. Well, uh, hi, Larry. You know, it's Bob. We, we know each other a little bit here from AFGI. Yes. Uh, yes. The stickiness that's still in, involved in inflation is in the food. Food is still very stubborn. Uh, it's, there's been... A lot of droughts in Europe is uh, Spain, for example, uh, is not growing rice. It needs a lot of water with rice, India. And you're see, still seeing the stubbornness 
in food prices. And I think that's going to be sticking around at least until we get through another crop uh, this summer. Well, you're probably right. I mean, grocery prices are still way too high. But um, I don't think it's going to get worse. There's, look, monetary policy, you know, can't give you better crops. Uh, now, it would be nice, you know, in the McCarthy bill, they have, uh, they're going to turn on the spigots for oil and gas with permitting reform, which is a very good thing. And that would help with fertilizer, which, which would probably help. Uh, for growing crops and cut food prices. That would be a good thing. I mean, I'm just saying what McCarthy is doing, uh, the Democrats are in denial. What McCarthy has done is they have created uh, a bill that would increase the debt ceiling and take care of those obligations, but along with it would reform the budget in very positive ways. And uh, this is a common-sense bill. And the public is behind it. I've seen polling, uh, Scott Rasmussen and others, 75 percent of the public wants a speed limit. Uh, we've spent too much money in the last couple of years, so just about six trillion dollars. We have to stop borrowing uh, the way we are. And, um, we, you know, we can't go on like this. And so, therefore, I'm optimistic that uh, this thing will go through. Now, they may not get all they want. You know, it's very funny. Um, I won't name names, but I talked to a very dear friend of mine who was a senior Trump financial official last night. And he reminded me that back in 2019, we negotiated with Nancy Pelosi over a debt ceiling. And she ins- she insisted in return for uh, an increase in the debt ceiling, uh, which we put in, as I recall, for two years, uh, she wanted more spending. All right. And she won that round because they had the cards. Uh, all we're saying is we'll give you the debt ceiling with less spending. Okay. As I said, we're going to put a speed limit. And then you go back to 2011, Biden himself, I mean, he's in denial about all this stuff. That's right. When he was vice, when he was vice president, he negotiated with John Boehner, the Republican Speaker of the House, an increase in the debt ceiling that put spending caps on. So what's being asked here by Kevin McCarthy uh, is not something, uh, you know, wacko or MAGA or whatever Blarney uh, is thrown at it. He's doing what we've done many, many times in the past, going all the way back to the 1980s when we had Graham Rudman. Yes. And so this is the right thing to do. Uh, all the indications are they're going to hold the line. And it's a good thing. And I think the markets uh, the markets like that a lot. They loved it and today. It would be they loved it today, but I think they, you know, this is good for the economy. Okay, yes, this is pro-growth and anti-inflation. Larry, uh, I'm going to be listening to you tomorrow. Larry's our number one show. Larry Kudlow's on on WABCRadio.com worldwide and Solar System uh, between, uh, between ten o'clock and one o'clock and the Milky and the Milky and the Milky. We're coming to the Milky Way soon. Between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock on Saturday morning's number one show. What are you going to be talking about tomorrow? Uh, All of the above. All the same things. But the one thing we will not talk about is Karl Marx's birthday. (laughs) We're glad about that. Thank you, Larry Kudlow. We have to go to a break, and I'll be listening tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on WABCRadio.com. Let's go to that break. 
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we're back to Katz and Cosby. Everybody, of course, talking about the case on the subway and also the New York State budget. Uh, what did you say before, Gov? Like, everything's always been a secret? In the past? You I just said if I could, I would have hidden the budgets after they were passed. All right. That's, so that's, no one could read them. That's the word from Governor Patterson. And joining us now here to talk about all of this is Melissa DeRosa. She is the former secretary, the right-hand person at the time to Governor Cuomo. Melissa. Which is wow. higher up than chief of staff. That's why I said the right-hand person, lead, the person, the the person. Uh, and also has a new book coming and out, too, a, which we're proud of. And there's a rumor of. that she's starting with WABC soon. You know what? I think we can confirm that rumor. I think I know someone sitting next to me who can confirm that, right? Is that, is that well, confirmed? We'll find out soon. I'm, I read the New York Post on Sundays. <laughs> okay, good. All right. We'll read that. All right. Anyway, Melissa, we got a lot of scoop to talk about. Uh, Melissa, before we get to the budget, I just got to get your reaction um, to sort of what we're hearing, these different opinions of people talking on the subway. Everybody's talking about the death of the guy on the subway who was put in the chokehold by the Marine who was trying to defend everybody. Governor Hochul's come out and said... Uh, the guy was killed for being on the subway. Eric Adams basically saying, let's step back. Let's look at the investigation. He's much more measured. Uh, what's your response to both of these folks? Well, you know, Kathy Hochul first said, you know, actions have consequences, which the far left sort of interpreted to mean that she was saying that he deserved what he got on the subway. And there was all of this sort of social media hysteria overnight and press hysteria overnight. And then it's sort of, you know, Kathy, wherever the wind blows, Hochul does her 180 degree turn the next morning and does everything she can to sort of clean it up. Um, And so, you know, she's sort of readjusted her position in the last, you know, 36 hours, a little bit of whiplash for people who were watching that. And I think that Eric Adams has taken what I think is sort of the approach that you need a mayor to take, which is much more of a, you know, measured, responsible, we need to let this play itself out and get all of the facts before we get hysterical and sort of urge calm. And, you know, then you've got AOC on the other side calling it murder, modern day lynching. You know, why has this arrest not been made and all this pressure mounting on? Yeah, what's your reaction to her? I mean, that that has been stunning. She just came out and said it's an execution. Um, She then said it was murder yesterday. Um, Today, we've been hearing also we also heard Ayanna Presley. All these people have been chiming in. And then there are people protesting. There's emotions are running high and they're like putting, you know, gas on a fire. I mean, this is dangerous. You know, the the larger issue with AOC and her, you know, band of 
communists on the left, which I am so incredibly sick and tired of, is that, and I say this as a Democrat, but I like to think that I am a common sense, you know, smart Democrat, is that where the hell, excuse my language, have they been? (laughs) Be outraged by crime on the subway. Absolutely. I have been outraged about crime on the subway on this show, in my writing. You know, when I was working for Governor Cuomo, when we were trying to get 500 cops on the subways fighting Bill de Blasio and AOC, by the way, in 2019, be outraged about about crime on the subway. Do not be selectively outraged about crime on the subway. Do not pop your head up this week and act as though you are Joan of Arc throwing yourself on the altar to save people from crime on the subway when you have said nothing about the 28 preceding subway deaths in the last three years. Judge Judge Weinberg's got a question for you. Well, I have a point. Melissa, I think you're absolutely right, because this is selective outrage. People need to take the subway for this city to work. You have to be safe on the subway. You have to perceive that you're safe on the subway. These people have done nothing to make it easier and safer to ride on the subway. This is an unfortunate incident. But what would they have them do? Allow this person to attack an innocent person on the subway and to either kill them or, or maim them? Would that be all right? Everybody would say, oh, it's terrible. Nobody did anything. What's your thoughts on that? You know, I I want to reserve judgment and sort of heed Eric Adams' call before before coming down on what I think and whether or not this was self-defense truly or, or what happened here. But the larger point, Judge, which we've been talking about on this show, is that New York City has a crime problem. And for somebody like AOC and Tiffany Caban and others who run around saying defund the police and you say all sorts of irresponsible things to, I'm going to bet you I, that AOC hasn't taken the subway at any point in recent history, right? She took a $600 one-way car service to the Met Gala last year and that dress that dress that was like thousands of dollars don't forget about that one melissa (laughs) but these are people who are so fundamentally out of touch with reality and then when they inject themselves in this way that's trying to get everybody hyped up and get everyone angry and pouring gasoline on the fire without the facts and i think it's sort of like where have you been Subway crime has been a problem, and you have been saying totally irresponsible things that undercut people's ability to try to fix the subway crime problem, including getting more cops on the subway, not defund the police. So I just think that this is sort of a political, governmental disaster playing out in the city at a time when partisanship is already you know, at record highs on both sides. Everyone is angry. Everyone's sort of been reduced to us versus them. And really what we need in this moment is cooler heads to prevail and then have a real conversation once we get the facts, not just about Mr. Neely's death, but about the overall structural issues and what's plaguing us with mental health and crime and empty office buildings and empty storefronts and why people are leaving New York City and why people feel safe. Because if our leaders don't get their act together very, very quickly. Yeah, there'll be nobody left. Exactly. At the city, state and federal level, there is going to be nobody left. And I think the next two years are going to dictate the next two generations in this city. And our leaders have to start to understand that and act like adults. And we've got Governor Patterson as a question for you, Melissa DeRosa. Melissa, ironically, if you did defund the police, which means that there'd be fewer police out there, I think there would be more incidents of people, in a sense, taking the law into their own hands or realizing They'd better do something for themselves because it may be a while before someone comes to help you from law enforcement. That's a great point. I wonder also, had a cop been on the subway at that time, had a cop been in the subway oh, car, maybe he wouldn't have done it. Marines, Marines are trained to, to protect Americans. And there was Americans in that train 
that needed protection. And John, nobody Why are else breaking there. his chops. Nobody else there to protect. That's the other point. We didn't yeah. have a lot of cops. There was nobody there to protect. So the Marines stepped up. Bob Yunanway, your thoughts? Yes, and, and elderly Americans, you know, that can't defend. They can't defend themselves. Uh, you know, uh, you, you know, like you're saying, you know, uh, Melissa, you sound so common sense. I, I, I can't believe that you're a, a Democrat, but. Uh, <laughs> But it's you know it's music to my ears. God bless you. No, it's look. I, I think that we are at this point where we have to have not social media elected officials like AOC who tweet and do nothing, and by the way, people who are just as toxic and damaging on the other side who say things that are wholly irresponsible and do nothing. And we have to have the leadership of this city, elected and non-elected business leaders, people who care about this, about our society come together in this moment. And maybe a crisis provides a platform for that real conversation to happen. But we have to have police. We have to have mental health. We have to deal with the vacant storefronts. We have to deal with the half-empty office buildings. We have to rein in spending. We cannot tax our citizens out of the city. And these are the conversations we should be having, not the kinds of ones that we're seeing play out right now on social media. One thousand percent. Well, Melissa, we are so grateful for you being here. Thank you so much for being on Cats and Cosby. We love you. We appreciate it. Welcome. Uh, I guess the rumor is correct, so I'm glad to hear the rumor is correct. I don't know. Make sure you read the New York Post on Sunday. We'll find out. <laughs> That's a good tease. Welcome. Thanks, and, guys. And congrats on the new book. Thanks Thank so you. much. We're going to take you. a break, and when we come back, we have some more powerful stuff for you we got on a this Friday afternoon. Let's take that break, and we'll be right back. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. What is today is John Solomon, and he's got some breaking news for us, and it's Friday afternoon. John Solomon, what the heck is going on? I mean, uh, things have been going up and down the last day or two. Tell us. Yes, there's a lot going on. Uh, Today, a lot of reaction to a story we broke on Just the News last night. There is an email now, public for the world to see, between the two former CIA directors, Mike Morrell, the man who organized the letter of 51 intel experts who falsely told us that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, and John Brennan, the man who succeeded him as CIA director under Barack Obama. And what the email shows is clearly uh, that this was not a letter done for intelligence or security purposes. It was done, in the words of Mike Morrell to John Brennan, to create a talking point for Joe Biden at the final presidential campaign of 2020 to push back on the Hunter Biden laptop and try to pretend that it was disinformation. This email, rare to see two CIA directors email themselves, uh, but to it now makes clear that what we were all told in the fall of 2020, this was an organic concern by intelligence professionals. In fact, it was a campaign-driven uh, effort to create a talking point to help Joe Biden beat Donald Trump and to falsely insinuate that the laptop was Russian disinformation when there was no such information in the marketplace. 
John, uh, these two CIA people, are they professional CIA people or are they just political appointees? Let, Mike you know, Morrell the American was a 33-year career person. That's very important to point out. 33-year career, career guy. He rose to deputy, sec, uh, deputy CIA director, which is a career position. And twice he w- was the acting director when a, when a, a CIA director. So he twice ran the agency as a career person. One of the few people ever to have that distinction in the CIA's career. John Brennan was a career intelligence officer who eventually became a political appointee as the CIA director for Barack Obama. So both men derived their credentials, their trust with the American people when they signed this letter by being career intelligence professionals. And they took those bona fides that we as the American taxpayer gave them and they turned it against us and had us believe them that this was a Russian disinformation campaign when all they really were trying to do, according to this email, was create a talking point to help Joe Biden uh, undercut the Hunter Biden laptop. They very so real. they lied. They lied to the American people. That's exactly. I'll just give you, as I said, there's been a lot of reaction since the story came out. This is the one that most caught my attention. The former intelligence chief for the FBI, another career official. He worked for Bob Mueller, one of the most respected retirees of the FBI. A lot of work. He said, listen, this wasn't just a talking point. It was a, quote, premeditated and admitted lie. These guys knew they were lying. They were trying to influence the election as former spies, and they harmed the American people in so doing. They changed the, the, the uh, way history goes. I mean, it was used by President Biden, or that time Vice President Biden, on the uh, stage uh, uh, of the debate, and the American people believed them. You're exactly right, and that's exactly what happened. They, they took that trust that they earned as career professionals, and they weaponized it for politics, and they deprived us from making a fully informed decision about Joe Biden. People today wonder, well, how do we end up with Joe Biden, all this Hunter Biden stuff? Because we weren't allowed to have the debate in October of 2020 when this laptop came out and provided us much of the evidence that we're now talking about three years later. The FBI files? The conversation you had on the FBI files, uh, John. Yeah, there's another part of this that I think is so important, which is this letter not only is used by Joe Biden at the uh, debate to blunt it, this notion that this was Russian disinformation then is used by the FBI and big tech to censor anyone who dare write, talk, or mention this on social media. So this letter had ripples effects. And and you see this in the Twitter files and the FBI files, what we're learning now, uh, that this was a situation of something that uh, had weeks of censorship impact on Americans going into one of the consequential presidential elections in recent history. So the FBI, big tech, news media, fact checkers all grabbed the work of John Brennan, Mike Morrell, and these 51 intelligence experts and used it to further the censorship effort. Again, harming America from having a good debate. Wow. And, and, and well, it goes beyond that. At, at what point at what point do you say uh, they have crossed the line of lying to the American people? At what point do you say uh, the word treason? Yeah, those are those are debates for a political and a legal question. I'm not the expert on that, but I will tell you that so many career intelligence officials, people who didn't sign the letter, either they were approached and didn't sign or weren't approached and glad they weren't, they're all saying, listen, the intelligence community is a lot worse off now that we know this. This is something that's a black eye. I understand the station chief for the CIA refused to sign the letter of Moscow. Yeah, that's exactly. 
That's right. Uh, Dan Hoffman, the premier Russian intelligence expert in our country. He was the Moscow CIA Moscow station chief uh, at one of the most critical times in U.S.-Russian relations. And they approached him, and he wouldn't sign it. When you ask him why he wouldn't sign it, it's very simple. He says, because there was no proof. I'm not going to sign my something and say I'm an intelligence expert when I don't have the intelligence to back it up. So there are many good people in the career uh, ranks of the uh, intelligence community still today. People who had the courage not to sign it didn't bend to the peer pressure, and they would prefer that intelligence experts only write letters when they've got the evidence to back up what they're saying. Well, I, I think we have a problem, uh, John, and uh, uh, how do you think we should handle it? I mean, all we're going to do is just wait and see if there's any – is there anybody honest and left in Washington that's going to tell the truth? <laughs> An age-old question asking for a long time. Here's the dynamic to watch. Several members in the Republican leadership and in the committees of Congress in the House say they're going to use the budget in the fall, the budget they'll have to pass and Joe Biden will have to sign in order for the government to keep running in the fall, to defund any security clearances, contracts, or future employment that any one of these 51 uh, people who signed the letter can have. So they'll take away at least the financial rewards of future government work, future government security clearances, future government employment from these 51. We'll see if that happens, but if that happens, there'll be some consequence to this truth now coming out. Well, John Solomon, have a great weekend, and this is Friday afternoon, and uh, we'll see where it takes us. I pray for America. Thank you, sir. It's a great honor to be on your show. Wow, that is really scary stuff, John. Uh, CEO of Goya Foods, Bob Yunamwe, your thoughts, because this is a blockbuster if indeed it turns out that all these people were compromised. At minimum, they lied under oath, Bob. Yes. Uh, you know, I know we have to wrap here, so I just wanted to add a little bit on, on immigration. You know, we're a country of immigrants, and I'm just concerned about our border being so open. Uh, you know, we're showing a lot of weakness, and we have problems around the world. But, uh, you know, the, we my grandfather came to this country to make a living, to contribute, and we really need to uh, welcome those who want to do that. But we're enriching the cartels who are Take, uh, taking the diversion of people coming over the border with all the trafficking and drugs that are coming over. They're really d- destroying our – they're attacking our children, and uh, they're abusing our children and with you know, these I drugs. W- I want to highlight Goya Cares, which you do also, which is so beautiful, um, bringing all this attention to those who have endured just these unimaginable issues, uh, fighting human trafficking, because that's a huge issue. You know, the the family is, is falling apart. Uh, we need to uh, love and protect our kids and uh, bring them to the center of our care and, con- and concern. Bravo. Bravo. Absolutely. Uh, John, another blockbuster show well, here, I would say, with Bob and the gang. My goodness, the Gov. We had Basu. We also had Ed Cox, Judge Weinberg, and John Acoff. John, this is a full house. And the governor. I, already, I started with the governor. You can't miss the Gov. All right, guys. This is not the Daily Planet building, but what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.